Kind Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together. Thank you that the pandemic seems to be passing. Uh, you've been up to something all along. We, we're still asking, what are you up to? What do you want from us as individuals, as a church, etc.? We want to stay open to you and what you're doing. So we dedicate this time to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It really struck me as I was preparing, uh, praying, thinking about this uh, sermon this week and this passage uh, that we're in, the, the timing of it all. Uh, here we have um, next weekend, this candidating weekend planned. Uh, we've been looking and praying for a permanent pastor for a while now, at least uh, the last six months. And the, the whole time I've been here, in fact, we've been looking towards that time of having what I call a, a, a permanent pastor. Uh, that comes from somebody saying to me once, uh, when are we going to get a real pastor? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> There's that. So I've taken it to calling it a permanent pastor, permanent lead pastor. Uh, and I was thinking how, how important it is that we as a church place our primary faith and hope in Jesus Christ as the senior pastor and chief shepherd of this church. That's really important. And maybe that's a reason why I prefer to call that person a lead pastor, because I really want Jesus to be the senior pastor of this church, any church really, but that's, that's where I think we will put our faith and our hope in Jesus and, and then welcome the permanent pastor, lead pastor that God uh, provides for us. And I'm, I'm also thinking that uh, with Chris's sermon last week, uh, when Jesus said, I am the door, the, the, the sheep pen, the, the sheep uh, fold, uh, he's the door, that's another way of saying shepherd. And, and I think Chris's sermon last week our sermon today, a good reminder for our current elders, uh, both current and we have some, as you maybe have seen, uh, hopefully you've seen some nominated uh, new elders there. Um, I hope it's a good reminder to our elders, uh, to our staff, of, of the need to deeply reflect on our call to serve as under shepherds in the body of Christ. This is these are important passages for us to grapple with and to engage and, and to love and serve our congregation well. And so I want to do that, uh, remind you of that. And so with that in mind, let's read uh, John 10, 11 through 18, and then 27 to 29. So I'll read that. I read usually from the New American Standard Bible. And so here we go. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Uh, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. 
No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Then skipping down to verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Did I already pray? I did. Okay, good. This is when I usually pray and I couldn't remember. Uh, I guess it wouldn't hurt to pray again, but I'll, I'll, I'll forego that. We'll pray at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I think maybe I'm tired or something. What's that? The old age. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I have three introductory points before we unpack the passage that I thought might be helpful for us uh, to help us understand what the Good Shepherd does. The first introductory point for us to reflect on this morning is that the motif or the sub-theme of the shepherd is found throughout the entire Bible. If we go back to Genesis uh, chapter 4, verse 2, we find that Abel, Adam and Eve's second-born son, was a keeper of flocks. And then in Genesis 48:24, when Jacob was dying, he summarized his life by declaring that God had been his shepherd all of his life to this day. And so in going back to, uh, over to Revelation, in Revelation 7:17. It says, when the saints come out of the tribulation, are brought before God, uh, John brings together two really striking images uh, in Scripture, and he says this, for the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of the water of life, the God, uh, and God shall wipe every tear from their eye. Beautiful passage. And this becomes really a, a, what I would call a glorious paradox. Now, remember that a, a paradox is a seeming contradiction. In other words, when we first look at it, it looks contradictory, but then, then when we think about it, 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 it becomes clear. But here's the, here's the glorious paradox. The good shepherd became the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And so it's also important to notice that the motif of shepherding is not confined to the Hebrew scriptures. The, the kings and the queens and, and the scepter that, that we often see them in books or movies uh, carrying or holding is a form of a staff, and it comes from the idea that kings and queens are to shepherd their people as well. The second intro idea related to shepherding is an important, I think, historical implication that I didn't really realize or settle on until this last week. Uh, ancient Hebrew shepherds apparently did not use sheepdogs. Uh, two reasons for that. Dogs were considered unclean uh, at that time, and, and rabies was, uh, was huge for, for hundreds of years. It was a real a problem. Uh, and those two things might be related. 
What this means is we consider the role of a shepherd in the biblical text, if they didn't use sheepdogs, is that the flocks were not driven, they were led. And that, that's what struck me. They weren't, flocks are not to be, churches are not to be driven, uh, they are to be led by the shepherd, the shepherds. Um, the shepherd's voice, the shepherd's touch become the primary means of, 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 a, sh- of a shepherd's wholesome and tender care and leadership for uh, the sheep, the congregation. And I'm going to provide some pointers at the end of this about how to hear the voice of God uh, or, or the voice of our shepherd. And as you're probably aware of, a lot of shepherds, uh, as they led their flocks, would play an instrument. And it just struck me in the last couple of weeks as I was preparing for this sermon that that's a, that's a form of, of worship, that we could consider that a form of worship. And that's a, another way that the sheep related to the shepherd through hearing him or her uh, playing their instrument. And so that caused me to think of us in times of worship, that's a way for us to, to come under the care of God in some fresh ways each and every week. And so the third intro idea, John's gospel is a work of literary genius. And I was struck by that uh, in the last couple of weeks as well. John was probably the youngest of the disciples. I think he first met Jesus, they think, when he was 17 or 18 years old. And yet he became this this, um, awesome, uh, technical, Uh, author and writer of this gospel. It is literary genius. Uh, Several subtexts, several layers in and through the gospel of John. The self-disclosure statements of Jesus are just one of the many subtexts and layers in that gospel. And John, if you had to summarize the whole gospel of John, what is John doing? He's asking his readers to continually reflect on a question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's the the theme of the Gospel of John. And that's another reason why oftentimes when people are interested in following Christ or interested in becoming a Christian, that a lot of times we'll say, well, read the Gospel of John first. And that's one of the reasons uh, that we we make that. So in, in John 10, with Jesus saying, I am the door of the sheepfold or sheep pen that Chris talked about last week, and then later on in the chapter, what we're looking at this week, I'm the good shepherd. What John's doing, he's combining this Old Testament shepherd motif with this encounter that Moses had at the burning bush. Uh, Moses uh, is in his second career. Uh, as a shepherd, he was a prince. He raised as a prince in Egypt, became a shepherd, um, and he was asked by God to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery. And Moses, if you remember, if you read the story, was resisting that. Um, and then Moses, at the burning bush, and his re- being reticent to do that, uh, finally uh, he says to God, the, the burning bush. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And then God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
And so the I am statements in John's gospel, what Jesus is doing is he's claiming to be the person who spoke to Moses at the burning bush. That's what Jesus is saying, and that's why the Pharisees and the scribes and the legalistic types got so angry with Jesus, because they knew he was claiming to be God when he said, I am, all those different times, and today we're looking at, I am the good shepherd. It's a, it's a pretty genius work uh, when we look at the Gospel of John, and I've just been appreciating um, that genius the last couple of weeks. And so what I'd like to do with this passage for us today is six ways that Jesus is our good shepherd. And then I'd like to uh, conclude by talking about how we can better hear the voice of God. So let's look at these one at a time. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, John 10, 11, and 14. Uh, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus endured everything in his ministry and on Good Friday, everything he did was for his sheep. And I, th I want you to, when I say his sheep, I want you to recognize this is you. Everything he did, he did for you. There's the individual you, there's the collective us, uh, but he did this for you. Everything he did on Good Friday, it was for his sheep. When he gave himself into the hands of the arresting uh, battalion in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was for you. When as an innocent man he was condemned to death, it was for you. When he was beaten and tortured, it was for you. When he hung on a cross in agony and finally died, it was for you. And this idea, we don't have time to develop it, this idea of laying down our lives. It's a, it's a good picture of marriage. It's a good picture of motherhood. Thank you, moms. Um, it's a good picture of parenting. And it's also a good picture of the church. We have no control over who walks through that door and decides that they'd like to be a part of Community Covenant Church. But we're called to lay down our lives for one another, whoever walks through that door. And sometimes we get along with people that come in that door, and sometimes we don't. And that doesn't change the fact that we're called to lay our lives down for one another in a marriage, uh, as parents. Uh, and in a church. And that's another reason why community groups are so important, that we walk with people and not just show up when we feel like it on Sundays. And I'm not saying anybody does that, but uh, that's why it's important to be in community together. Number two, verse 12, the good shepherd will never leave or abandon his sheep. And I always know that there's people in the room or people online that need to hear this, because some of us were raised in a context where we thought if we didn't do all the right stuff that we would lose our salvation, that we wouldn't go to heaven. So it's, I'm pretty passionate that we understand and know that once you're in, you're, you're in for good. And so I, w I want us to really hear that. 
he will never leave or abandon his sheep like the hired hand who is just in it for the money. Uh, Hebrews 13.5 is, is a quote from Deuteronomy 31, six, verse 6 and 8, and Joshua 5 also, and it says, God says, I will never leave you nor desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Whether or not we feel his presence, he's always there. He's always, always, always there. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Sometimes it'll feel like it. You know, there's those moments, dark nights of the soul, where we're crying out, where are you, God? I don't know if you've ever done that. I've done that. But he's there. Number three, verses 14 and 15, the good shepherd knows his sheep completely. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Jesus Christ knows you completely, inside and out. Secret sins, besetting sins, he knows. Full awareness of all that. And he still loves us. He knows our deepest fears. He knows our foibles. There are times when you're probably a mystery to yourself. I know I am. I'm like, why did I do that? Have you ever done that? Maybe. And then sometimes you're a mystery to other people, your kids maybe. Like, who are you? We're a mystery to ourselves. We're a mystery to others. We are not a mystery to God. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And here's the thing. Because he knows us completely, he is able to lead us effectively. The good shepherd knows what you need. He's able to give you what you need at precisely the time that you need it. And I'm inviting us to a surrender afresh into that. Number four, verse 16, the good shepherd called his sheep and brought them to himself. He says, I have other sheep that are not in this of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. We are the sheep of his pasture. Who, who are the sheep in the other fold? I have another. That's Gentiles. You have Jews and everybody else. And that's, uh, everybody else is called Gentiles. And so he's warming them up to the idea that everybody is going to be invited in. The sheep of his pasture. Uh, the fifth one, verse 28, the good shepherd gives his sheep e eternal life. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. We're all going to have eternal life. Everybody, past, present, and future, will live forever. We'll either live with Jesus or we'll live without Jesus. And I don't say that to scare anybody, but I say that we are going to live forever and let's surrender to his love and his care in our lives. Uh, the sixth one, verse 29, the good shepherd sees his sheep as a gift from the Father. Jesus says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, 
and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So how would you know if you are one of the good shepherd's sheep? How would you know that you have been given as a gift by the Father to the Son? The identifying marks, he says, of the sheep belonging to the good shepherd are clearly stated in verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But what does it mean to hear the voice of God? The sheep belonging to the good shepherd seek to live in a state of humble attentiveness to the voice of God. And I think that humble attentiveness part is really, really important. And out of joy, there is responsive obedience. Some of you were raised in uh, a context where you were told that obedience is the goal of the Christian life. It's not. It's the fruit of having met the Good Shepherd. We meet the Good Shepherd. We're filled with joy that He would invite us into His fold, that He would love us, that He would care for us, and then out of joy and worship, we want to be obedient. I'll probably never say the word obedience without the word responsive in front of it because so many of us were raised in that context where we thought obedience was the goal. So it's responsive obedience. We're responding to the gospel. We're responding to God's love. And out of that, see, it's the fruit, not the goal. So how can we learn how to hear the voice of God? Years ago, I was told this story, and I never forgot it. Um, and I, I don't know if I can tell it very well, but there was a, um, a town on the coast, and there was a harbor at the town, and when merchant ships would come into that harbor, they would often break apart because there was a lot of rocks beneath the water in the harbor, and the town was going broke, and so the city fathers and mothers got together, and they set up three lights so that when the captain of the ship came around to come into the harbor, they'd get out there, they'd line up the three lights, and they could get into, safely into the harbor to deliver their goods. And so I want to give you three lights uh, to line up to hear the voice of God. The first one is the subjective skill of hearing God's voice. Mostly, I would call that an impression. Uh, that's my word for it, but I think, you know, we think we've heard from God, something from God, and that's, that's an impression. Where do we see that in Scripture? 1 Kings 19.12, when you have uh, Elijah, he's running away from Jezebel, and God leads him up to uh, a cave on the mountain. Is it Horeb? I forget. But he's in the cave, and this, this great wind comes. The, the wind was so strong that it was breaking rocks, the Bible says. And then there was, I think, a, a, an earthquake. Uh, and God wasn't in the wind. There was an earthquake. God wasn't in uh, the, the earthquake. And then there was a fire. 
and God wasn't in the fire. And some of you know the story. And then there was a gentle whisper. And Elijah heard the voice of the Lord. And the Lord directed him uh, into a next season. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. It's in those moments, the gentle whisper, when we're still and humble before God, that we can hear the voice of God. The second light that we need to line up to get into the harbor is that what we hear needs to be confirmed by the written Word of God. I could tell you lots of stories, mostly sad stories, of mature Christians who thought they heard from God that was not confirmed by the written Word of God, but they believed it was God anyway. Um, There is no extra biblical revelation, uh, so it needs to be confirmed. What we hear, if we hear from God, or think we do, we need to go to Scripture and find affirmation or confirmation that that could be God's will in there. A few months ago, I felt like I heard something uh, from the Lord that that is potentially life-changing for me uh, and my wife, Linda. And so, I I simply shared that with her. You know, I I spent some time with the Lord today, and I, I feel like maybe the Lord said this. And so, we just said, okay, let's take that and let's just put it on the shelf and just see what happens. We're not going to jump anywhere or do something without thinking or praying or seeking God. We're just going to put it on the shelf and see what happens. So the first light is learning how to discern in a subjective way the voice of God. The second light, confirmed by the written Word of God. No extra biblical revelation. The third light is it needs to be confirmed by those we respect and trust in the Lord. And that's why it's good to be in a community group. It's good to have people who know us, who ask us difficult questions, uh, can hold us accountable, appropriately accountable at different times. Uh, but we need those people in our life. And, and some of us, again, grew up in the context where other people heard from God for us. And so what I would say is that we don't need people to hear for us. What we do need is people to hear with us. And so, big decisions, it's, it's, it's helpful, it's important, I would say essential, but it's at least important, and especially in big decisions, that we grab some people and say, hey, I think the Lord might be saying this, will you pray with me about this? Again, another reason for community groups. So, what's the takeaway? Are you secure in the good shepherd's love being part of his sheepfold. You're not going to be driven. You're going to be led. Have you received the death and resurrection of Jesus as accomplished on your behalf? Do you accept his eternal commitment to never leave you or forsake you? Can you surrender afresh or for the first time to God's love knowing that that He knows you better than you know yourself? Can you receive the gift of eternal life with Jesus? And then there's the other sheep, too. 
And then, can you see yourself as a heavenly gift from God the Father to the good shepherd of your soul? And no doubt there's some people that for the very first time, they would need to say, I want that. And so if that's you, if you're online, you can, you can ask to be prayed for. If you're here today and you'd like to talk more, uh, Chris or myself or almost anybody else in the room could talk to you about that as well. We'd love to talk to you and without pressuring you in any way, uh, but just to have that conversation about who Jesus is. And so with that, let me pray. You are good. You are good. You are the good shepherd. And we just want to say thank you. You're more attentive to us than we realize or understand. You lead us and you guide us, even when we don't know it or realize it. So thank you for that. And Lord, we want to surrender afresh to you today, to let you lead us and guide us as individuals, as married couples, as families, as a church. We are grateful for your care and concern for your sheep. Lord, strengthen our elders, strengthen our staff to lead as humble and attentive under-shepherds to you. And then we pray for next weekend, too, as our candidate comes to town and we have a chance to meet and greet, get to know, uh, to laugh a little bit and to listen and to get into your word. So we commit that time to you as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.